Okay, Donald Trump was on a tour of Europe and he found himself in uh, Rome and he was looking up at the famous Sistine Chapel ceiling uh, and he was gazing up at this magnificent piece of, masterpiece of art that stood for hundreds of years. And he said, this is my favouritest painting ever. And the tour guide said, yeah, it was painted by Michelangelo. And he turned to Donald Trump and said, hey, no, I know that's fake news. There ain't no way a turtle painted that. But the Sistine Chapel is one of those incredible pieces of artwork. Every year, not this year, but every other year, five million tourists go through the Sistine Chapel and see that remarkable piece of work. Craning their necks upwards, they gaze at this vast painting produced by Michelangelo. And it's an incredible, incredible thing. Um, It took Michelangelo four years. He started painting in May 1508, and he started there lying on his back, painting this incredible drama. And panel by panel, he showed the journey of man's history from creation all the way through to the end of the world. Following the journey of the Bible, he unpacked this incredible mega story. There are 336 human figures in Michelangelo's painting. And that's how he painted, and that's how he described this incredible thing. In 1512, October, he took down the scaffolding, and everyone could all of a sudden see this great masterpiece. And for 500 years, our world has stood in awe of this incredible work of art. And Michelangelo's painting starts the way the Bible starts. It starts with the beginning of the world, the creation And the mega-narrative of the Bible, the mega-narrative, the big story of Michelangelo's painting is that there is a creator. He created the entire world, and he created it perfectly. And having created the world, having set the scene, as it were, then he created the finest of his creation, human beings created in the very image of God. Human beings. Adam was created. But the tragedy is, and the Bible records this in the earliest chapters of the Bible, is that instead of following and worshipping God... Adam, yes, but we as human beings rejected God. We decided we didn't need God. We didn't want to be under God's authority. We rather would want to be our own authority. So we turned our backs on God, and the Bible describes that as the fall of man. But instead of God rejecting us who rejected him, God instead pursued us. In fact, the very first words uttered from God to human beings having us rejected him. This is what God said. It recorded in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. He said to Adam... Where are you? Adam, where are you? And so we see God's pursuit of man beginning. God didn't quit on human beings, even though human beings quit on God. And ever since then, God has been pursuing mankind. The the painting that Michelangelo produced in the very center of the Sistine Chapel ceiling is the famous creation of Adam painting, which shows God reaching to Adam. And uh, there are two problems with Adam, okay? First problem is his small problem, but we'll not talk about that today. The second problem is much more serious. The second problem that Adam has is that he's kind of nonchalant. He's kind of not fussed. He's kind of apathetically reaching to God like it's not important. And yet God is straining towards Adam, longing for Adam to be in relationship with him. 
And so we see this, and this is the how it's gone, that God has been pursuing humanity, and yet humanity's kind of been apathetically responding to God. Jesus describes this pursuit of humanity in one of the stories he told. He said in Matthew 18, verse 12, describing God's heart for humanity. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 in the hill and go after the, to look for the one that has wandered off? In the picture that Jesus is giving us, God's the shepherd looking after that lost one. And who are, who are we? Well, we're the lost sheep. We're the ones who stray. And this is the story of humanity. This is the story of the Bible that God has been crying down and it's echoing through the ages. Adam, where are you? And today he cries out to you. Are you with him? God is pursuing you. You know, if I was, you know, think back to when my kids were younger, me, Ange, and the kids, we would go for a picnic in the, in the forest. And imagine after the picnic, we'd packed up all our stuff, we'd taken it all back to the car. And back at the car, we suddenly realized, oh, a minute, we've got Becky, but we've got Michael. What would we do? Would we say, all right, well, win some, lose some. <laughs> you know, hey, at least we've got Becky. Would we say that? Of course we wouldn't. What we'd do, we'd leave the stuff at the car, we'd go back into the forest, we would search high and low until eventually we found Michael. And it's exactly the heart of God longing for his people, longing for people to come to God. And maybe you are away from God. You need to understand that God is not away from you. God has never quit on you. And you know it. You feel his tugging on your heart. It's because God is chasing you in his love. You know, there's a word we use. We use different words to describe people who don't have a relationship with God yet. Maybe, maybe that's you. Sometimes we call them non-Christians or unsaved or unchurched. Actually, a Bible word for people who don't have a relationship with God is lost. Now, that's, that's not a negative word because lost isn't rejected. Far from it. Lost infers you have an owner. You are missed. You have value. And God is pursuing us. Jesus told another parable to describe this historical pursuit of mankind that God has been chasing us. And he describes it this time in terms of a family. And this family has a very wealthy father and the son decides he didn't want anything to do with his father and he goes away from his home. And this is what it describes in Luke's gospel, chapter 15. There was a man who had two sons, Jesus said. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. And that's exactly what happens when someone has moved away from God. We're trying to do life by ourselves, trying to figure it out by ourselves. We find ourselves in a place of great need. And there, like many of us do, he came to a realization. So he went and hired himself out to the citizen of the country and he sent him to the field to feed the pigs. He, know, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, wait a minute, how many of my father's hired servants have enough food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, 
His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he was wanting to continue his speech and say, make me like one of your hired servants. But the father interrupts him and says, Father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. Here, God is portrayed as the father in this picture. And we, the human race, are depicted as the straying son, the son that wanders away and squanders our lives on the craziest things. But then when we come to our senses, we turn back hoping that God will accept us back as groveling slaves. But instead of that, God runs to us, the Bible says. He's like the father who runs. He embraces us. He kisses us. He welcomes us home and throws a party. That's the God of the whole universe. That's exactly how he feels about you and about me. Isn't that amazing? Notice it says he ran. And in, those, in, the, in the context of that ancient Eastern world, patriarchs, heads of families, wealthy landowners, they would never be seen as running. It would, you know, kids would run, women would run, young men would run, but fathers in the house would never run. It was undignified. And yet here, Jesus, in a very undignified way, describes this picture of a running father as a description of God who is just waiting, longing, respecting your free will, yes, but as soon as you make that choice, he's right in there, he's ready there, because he's been longing for you to come to that moment of response and knowing God. Considering how God feels about you, considering how God has felt from the beginning of creation all the way through to now, considering that, Christmas is absolutely no surprise. Of course he's going to come. I mean, he's just been pursuing you since the beginning. So he's just relentlessly pursuing and pursuing. And pursuing. So the idea that God would come, duh, of course. So we read in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Of course he's going to be with us. Look at his heart. It's bursting to be with us. And considering how God feels, Christmas was no surprise. But also considering how God feels, the cross, the crucifixion, was no surprise. You see, love always leads to substitution. Always does. How many of you parents have found yourself seeing one of your kids, I don't know, they've, they've, they've hurt themselves, or they've got a cold, or they're going through a really hard time at school, and you find yourself saying, I wish I could take their place. If I could, if I could, I would go through it for them. Do you not say that? Why would you say that? Because love always leads to substitutional sacrifice. So it is, no, it is absolutely no surprise that Jesus came, and it's no surprise that he went to the cross. I want to show you a picture. This is a picture of a man called Father Peter Damien, surrounded by orphan boys, all of whom have leprosy. And this is in Molokai in March 1889. Peter Damien was a Belgian priest, and he became famous for his willingness to serve lepers. Moved 
about their plight. He traveled to Molokai, a village designated as a leper colony on the island of uh, Molokai in Hawaii. For 16 years, he lived among them and served them. He learns to speak their language. He bandaged their wounds. He embraced their bodies, the bodies that no one else would touch. And he preached to their hearts, hearts that would otherwise have been left alone. He organized schools, bands, choirs. He built homes so that the lepers could have shelter. He built 2,000 coffins so that when they died, they could be buried with dignity. Slowly, it was said that Kalawo, the village that he was in, became a place to live rather than a place to die. And Peter Damien was not careful about keeping his distance. He said, didn't think of anything. He didn't try and separate himself from this people. He got close. And for this, the people loved him. And one day when he stood up to preach on a Sunday morning at the church service, he opened his sermon with these two words, we lepers. Now he wasn't just helping them. He was one of them. From this day forward, he wasn't just on their island. He was in their skin. First he had chosen to live as they lived. Now he would die as they died. They were together They were in it together. He said, in describing his passion and his mission, he said this, I make myself a leper with the lepers to gain all to Jesus Christ. I love that. I love that because that's just like the heart of God. A God who would long for the human race so much, that echoing call of God, where are you, Adam, resulted in his incarnation at Christmas. He became a man. And then, of course, it led to the cross because love always leads to sacrifice. You see, love always leads to sacrifice and substitution. It's impossible to love people without in some way, if if they have a problem or a need, in some way you will long to share with them in that problem or that need or alleviate it from them. if, If you love someone, their weakness will flow towards you and your strength will flow towards them because that's what true love does. How could God be a God of love if it did not lead him to sacrifice? And the answer is, he couldn't. He couldn't be a God of love if it didn't lead to sacrifice. And the second answer is this. Christianity is the only religion that claims he did. Because only in Christianity do we have this radical, humble, awesome picture of God who would do that for his creation. God sacrificed himself for you. That's how much he cares for you. And he rose again in the third day and he's alive right now. And by trusting Jesus, you can be saved. One of the Buddhist writings called the Lotus Sutra, which is one of the foremost Buddhist texts, actually tells a story that's very similar, almost, in fact, almost identical in its, in its early stages as the story of the prodigal son. Literally the same story, except with a very different ending. In the Buddhist writing, it describes a son who rebelled against his father and went off to a distant country and lived his own way, lived the crazy life, and then came to his senses and then returned to the father. So far, it's identical to the story that Jesus told. But then this is where the story radically deviates. And this is the difference between Christianity and every other religion. In the story told by the Buddhists, 
in the Buddhist writings. The boy then had to, in order to experience acceptance at home, had to work off the penalty of his past misdeeds by years of servitude to his father. And he did become like a servant in his family in order to pay the debt of his crazy living. You see, in Buddhism and Hinduism, you have karma. And karma says, you sin, you pay. But in the gospel, God says, you sin, I pay. You see, what God literally did in his love was he substituted himself for us. He paid the price for our sins. He took our sin upon himself so that we can take his righteousness upon ourselves. He took our condemnation so that we can experience no condemnation. He took our judgment so we could be acquitted. He took our hell so we can have his heaven. He was crucified so you wouldn't crucify yourselves. He didn't come to rub it in. He came to rub it out. That's what Jesus Christ did on the cross, and that's what love does. So God's love, God's pursuit of humanity, that cry, where are you, Adam? Of course he's going to be with us, and of course he would die for us and rise again. So those thoughts are great thoughts, but as we're transitioning from one year, 2020, and what a year, into 2021, what certainty can you have today as you're transitioning into this next year? Well, 2020, what's it been like? I mean, let me just describe it in a few words. COVID, lockdown, face masks, vaccine, fake news, conspiracy theories, George Floyd's death and the Black Lives Matter movement, the US elections, Brexit, furlough, unemployment, working from home, Zoom meetings, (laughs) homeschooling, cancelled exams. Captain Tom, James Bond's been cancelled. And a terrible rise in mental health challenges people are facing. No one would have predicted the year we had. I mean, if you were going back to a year ago exactly from now, who would have said, oh, next year's going to be like that? Not one person could have described what I've just described to you. So what certainty can you have What certainty can we have as we go into another unknown year in the light of these verses in the Bible? Well, I want to say to you, not not just that God was with us, but also God is with us always. Jesus, having died on the cross and risen again, he appeared to his disciples alive and he declared in Matthew's gospel, chapter 28, he said in verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And surely I am with you always. Say that with me. Surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. You see, God came to be with us 2,000 years ago. We celebrate that at Christmas. God became a man. And no wonder because he loved us. And no wonder did he die and rise again because he loved us. But it's not just a historical memory. Jesus, the last words he spoke to his disciples before ascending back to the Father was this, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So yes, God was with us 2,000 years ago, but today, 2021, good news, God is with us always. Today, God is with you. My friends, Andrew, um, who lives over in Stewarton, over in Ayrshire in, in Scotland, he used to, he used to be a... a, a he, he described himself as a, as a lonely pagan, as a lonely heathen. 
He's a Christian now, but before he was a Christian, he would describe himself as a lonely heathen. And he actually became a Christian reading the classic by Daniel Defoe, Robinson Crusoe, classic novel. And uh, the bit that did it for him, the bit that got his attention and made him turn his attention back to God, and he became a believer on the back of reading this. Let me read it to you. This is an excerpt from Robertson Crusoe. And Robertson Crusoe is a story of a man who was stranded for 28 years alone on a tropical island. It says this, One morning, being very sad, I opened the Bible upon these words. I will never, never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Immediately it occurred to me that these words were to me. Just at that moment, just, the, just at the moment when I was mourning over my condition, as one forsaken of God and man, well then, I said, if God does not forsake me, what matters it, though the world should all forsake me? From that moment, I began to conclude in my mind that it was possible for me to be more happy in forsaken, solitary condition than it was probable I should ever have been in any other state in the world. And with this thought, I was going to give thanks to God for bringing me to this place. Very powerful words. And Andrew read that, and he suddenly realized it wasn't God who had walked out on him, but him who had walked out on God. And my friend Andrew came back to God, who promised to never leave him. So I want to say to you, as you're going into 2021, God is with you. God is with you always. He's with you in your relationships in 2021. He's with you in your toughest days in the year to come. And he's with you in your best days. He's with you in your challenges and he's with you in your easy times. He'll be with you in your successes and your victories. And he'll be with you in your failures. He'll be with you in the disappointments and in the isolation. And he'll be with you in those moments of great joy and celebration. God is with you always. And he's with you, absolutely certain. He's with you as you go into 2020. We don't know what it holds but we know he's with us as we go into it. In, the, in 2010, you might remember the Chilean miners who were stranded underground after the mining accident. And they sent news up to the surface to let them know that they were still alive. And their message was this. There are actually 34 of us down here because God has never left us. You know, there were still only 33 men, but they said there's 34 of us because God has never left us. You see, it's easy to say God is with us always when things are easy. But actually, you'll discover that he really is with you when you find yourself in a mine several hundred meters below ground. And that's what those guys felt. He's with you. And he's for you. He's not just with you. He's seriously for you. Considering the journey that God has been on, this coming into the world, this death and resurrection, I know he's with you, but I know he's also for you. Romans 8 says, in verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not with him also freely give us all things? I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord the great news is God isn't just with you. He's eternally for you. Nothing can separate you from that love of God as you're going into this year. Nothing, not even death, can separate you from the love of God. In 1996, I lost my dear mum. 
And I remember having only been a few years a believer at that point. I remember in the last week of mum's life, God gave me a Bible verse for mum. It's an unusual verse. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 4. And it's a very simple phrase which that a woman who was going through a crisis confessed in the middle of her hard time. And this was the phrase. It was, all will be well. And, and someone asked, are you okay? She said, all will be well. And she went a little bit further on and met someone else. And they said, are you okay? And she said, all will be well. She just had this confession. And it was that confession I felt God gave me from the Bible that I felt was from my mum. And I shared it with mum. I said, mum, I've been reading this verse and I know it doesn't look well. But I really believe God says to you, all will be well. And it didn't look well. And I shared that with her in the week. And then on the Sunday night, mum passed into eternity, into the presence of God. On Wednesday, it was a funeral. But then on Thursday morning, I had a phone call the day after the funeral. And it was from a friend, Tim Brown, down in Newcastle. Tim said, Peter, last night I had the strangest of dreams. In the dream, I met your mum. And she told me to tell you all is well. So I believe nothing can separate you. I literally, I literally believe nothing can separate you from the love of God. Once you and God have connected. That connection is now an eternal connection. He is with you always in this life and into the amazing eternity that he has for you. He is with you. He's with us forever. He's not just with us in this life, he's with us in eternity. We started with the earliest chapters of the Bible at the beginning of this message. And now we're now going to jump in a few moments to the closing chapters of the Bible. And just like Michelangelo's incredible painting, described the world history from Genesis all the way through to Revelation was God's pursuit of mankind, his relentless pursuit of mankind from creation to the very end. Let me now take you to one of the last couple of chapters in the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, verse 2. And it says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, appeared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is now among his people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God and he will wipe every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away typically when we hear of heaven we think of we think of us leaving our place to be with God in his place but here the Bible reveals that the ultimate heaven will actually be God leaving his place to be with us in our place. Typically heaven describes, the typical descriptions of heaven are kind of ghostly, um, disembodied, floaty, <laughs> like up in the sky. But that's actually not how the Bible describes heaven. That's, the, 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 when, as soon as you die, you enter into, you're disembodied, yes, but that's a temporary heaven. The ultimate heaven will come. So in, in the meantime, you're, you're waiting for that ultimate heaven. But here's what happens in the ultimate heaven. The Bible teaches that just as Jesus Christ rose from the dead, so also we will rise from the dead and we will be in resurrected bodies. And where will you be? Will you be floating around in the sky? No. The Bible teaches there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And the Bible says the meek shall inherit the earth. This is the domain of man. Why would he create us for this world and then make us float around for eternity in the sky? Of course not. Create us for this world. We're going to get this world back. We'll be resurrected bodies on a resurrected earth serving a resurrected saviour in a resurrected city, the new Jerusalem. And God's dwelling will be among us and he will dwell with us forever. 
God with us, not just at Christmas, God with us on the cross, God with us in his resurrection. God, Jesus said, I will be with you always. And he literally meant it, literally, no more funerals, no more depression, no more temptation, no more sickness. You were made for a person and you were made for a place. And that person is Jesus and that place is a resurrected earth, heaven on earth. C.S. Lewis, I'm gonna end with this. This is how he ends his book called The Last Battle. And he concludes it by saying this, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read yet, which goes on forever and ever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. It's a beautiful description. God is with you. God is with you always. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Glorify you, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the true God, the Creator, the God who's been pursuing us since the beginning of time. God, you know our lives. You know every person joining me today. And God, thank you, you love us. Thank you, we can have that confidence. It's where you are. Just take a moment to pray your own response to God. Talk to him. If, if there's something I've shared has triggered something in your heart, just take a moment to talk to God about that. Maybe to worship him. Give him thanks. Maybe you thought, like my friend, that he had abandoned you, but actually you realize, no, no, you've walked out on God. God's not gone anywhere. Just take a moment to acknowledge that. While people are doing that, let me give you an opportunity. And actually, as far as decisions are, are concerned, this is the most important decision you could ever make. Why not today decide to become a follower of Jesus for the rest of your life? Big decision, the best decision, and a great way to end a bit of an half year and enter into your future with God. If that's you, you're saying, Peter, I want this Lord Jesus in my life. I want to follow him. I want to believe in him. And I want to have this relationship and eternal life that you're describing. And just as your moment, pray this prayer with me, just one line at a time. Say after me, dear God, thank you for loving me. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place on the cross. So that I could be forgiven and have eternal life. I believe that you rose from the dead on the third day and you're alive right now. So take first place in my life. I declare Jesus is Lord of my life from now on. Thank you, God, for hearing my prayer and accepting me today. Pray that prayer. I know that God is with you right now and he heard you pray and he accepts you. He accepts you. He cleanses you from your sin. You're eternally saved. You're his. You're a child of God. And you can walk into the future with confidence in God. Listen, we want to help you because this journey with God is a great journey and it's the most important journey. So we want to do everything we can as a church to help and support you grow in this faith. But listen, do us a favor, or should I say do yourself a favor? Let us know you prayed the prayer. 
on the platform, click the button, you prayed the prayer, or if you're on YouTube or Facebook, or if you're listening retrospectively on the podcast, message us. And one of our team will reach out to you and we'll help you in any way we can. God bless you. Let's worship God.